0: This morning, we spent a few moments in uh, the Proverbs. We noticed Proverbs verses 1 through 7, and the point behind that was to look at the uh, ideas that Solomon and the instruction that Solomon gave to his reader about having to have success. How can we go about having success? Because we were talking about uh, the idea that people coming into a new year, they want to take an opportunity to use that as a moment to where they can make a few changes in their lives. Now, I don't know that I've ever uh, made a New Year's resolution. Uh, Nothing wrong with making a New Year's resolution. A lot of people do it, and if that's a tool that some people can use to uh, better their lives and better themselves, then I think that's a wonderful thing to do. This evening, I want us to talk for a few moments about what do we do And how do we go about organizing our lives so that they can be better? What if we're coming out of situations or years worth of things not being exactly what they ought to be, and then trying to make things the way they should be? Now the title of the sermon tonight is, Sometimes Another Chance is All We Need. And I want us to look at another great soldier for God. This, This time we're going to move over into the New Testament. Uh, If you would be turning to Romans 13, we're going to notice a passage in Romans 13. Of course, Paul is the author of the letter to the Roman uh, congregation, the Roman church. And so, we want to look at some things that Paul had to say with this idea of sometimes another chance is all we need. Now, fortunately for Paul and for us, we had the opportunity for that other chance. And not everybody has that. <clears throat> Sometimes people live this life without having been able to take that other chance that God has been offering uh, the whole time an individual lives in this world. But I want you to notice Romans 13. We're going to begin with verse 8. <clears throat> Romans 13, verse 8. O no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. That's exactly what Paul did in his life. Paul had to make a few changes, didn't he? And so when we come into this idea, and we're going to still kind of uh, use the idea of the new year to uh, as a foundation for what Paul's talking about, because a lot of people take that as an opportunity to make some changes. But as going into a new year, often people make these new year's resolution, uh, resolutions. Now let me give you ten of the most prominent or often made resolutions for a new year. Stop smoking. Get in better shape. Lose weight. Enjoy life more. Quit drinking. Organize self. Learn something new. Get out of debt. Spend more time with family and help people. I think every one of those are, are good resolutions for anyone to make at any time if this, that improvement is needed in life. If we can make healthy choices, that's what we need to do. But I want us to notice that <clears throat> the top five of these top ten resolutions all had to do with health. Why? I don't think anyone wants to uh, leave this world any sooner than we need to, right? I don't think anyone is looking to leave. I don't think uh, faithful Christians are in fear of their lives if, if Christ returns or they fear death in a way that people who are not Christians fear death or those who have no belief system at all. But that doesn't mean we're looking to get out of this life in a hurry, does it? Because God's blessed us with a beautiful life. He's blessed us with a wonderful place to live and He wants us to enjoy it within His parameters. So, people are wanting to live longer. But here's what's missing from that top five, and really, for the most part, from all ten of those things. God. God's not found in those lists, is He? People want to live longer in this life, but notice they don't want to live longer in this life in accordance with what God wants them to do. Why? Because people don't like to be told what to do. We simply don't like to be told what to do. And Christianity is based on the idea of being submissive to the Christ who was submissive to the Father. We have to give up self and embrace Him. And we have to do the things He's asked us to do. Now, the founder of McDonald's, I don't know if you're familiar with a man by the name of Ray Kroc. He founded McDonald's, and on one occasion he was asked... Uh, How do you prioritize your life? How is it that you have become so successful in life? He said, well, first of all, he said, here are my priorities in life. I believe in God, I believe in my family, and I believe in McDonald's. Well, I don't think there's a thing in the world wrong with that list. If you believe in God, and then you believe in your family... And then you work your hardest at your job. I think that's a wonderful thing. But now I want you to notice what he added. He said, but when I go into the office, I reverse that order. He puts McDonald's first. He put his family second. And God was last. Is that out of the ordinary? Now brethren, I think we just described a vast majority of the people in the world. I think we may have even described some people who claim to be in our New Testament Christians. I think maybe when they go out into the world, that they become someone who they're not when they congregate with other Christians on Sunday morning. Now, I think people forget about God. I think they put Him on a shelf. I think they want Him to be on the list, but they want Him in at the bottom of the list. They don't want God interfering with how they live their lives in everyday life. Right? They liked the concept of God. I think Mr. Ray Crock liked the concept of God. I think he probably believed there was a God in heaven. And maybe in some way he felt like that he was living according to God's commandments. I have no reason to believe that he wasn't an honest businessman. I have no reason to believe that he didn't treat his family the way that, that they ought to have been treated. But I have every reason to believe that his priority list was not what it ought to be because he himself said he changes that list around and God comes in last place. And I don't think that's what we need to do. So how do we change that? Well, sometimes another chance is all we need. And if we want another chance, and we want to make some necessary changes in our lives, we have to go to the source that gives us that information. Now, the Apostle Paul knew what that source was. Now, at first, he was a little misguided. He did not listen to the the prophecies written in the Old Testament that pointed to the Christ. He felt like that Christians were fighting against God's religion. He was blinded to the truth. And that's what Satan wanted. But if there was anyone who ever needed another chance, it was Saul of Tarsus, wasn't it? Because he was a murderer of Christians. Saul was a terrorist. He terrorized the faithful. He threw men, women, and children into prison. And he understood what it meant to take advantage of another chance. Because another chance will sometimes, and every time, eventually become the last chance wanted. Because we're going to leave this world one way or the other. We're going to leave it through death, or we're going to leave it because the Christ comes back. Now, in his Roman letter, Paul exhorted the readers how to prioritize their lives so they could take advantage of another chance. The first thing he mentioned was for them to keep on loving. That's our first point. But why should we love? Well, in verse 7 of our passage, Paul talked about paying what we owe to the government. Okay, that's what chapter 13 for the most part is about. Our relationship to the government. We're not to fear the government. Uh, if we're living the way we ought to live, we're not to fear the government. Those who break the laws of the land, they are to fear the government, right? They are, uh, the government is a tool of God. God established civil government. That doesn't mean He endorses Every civil government in the land. He doesn't endorse a lot of aspects of our civil government. He does not endorse homosexuality. He does not endorse uh, uh, abortion. He does not endorse socialism, right? And we have those aspects throughout our civil government, right? And there are people in our government who want to make it even more so. But the bottom line is, the civil government is a tool of God, and if a person lives in the way he or she ought to live, they have no reason to fear the government. Okay? So he says, you pay the government what you owe the government. And now here's the sad news for those of us who work in this world, right? And that's everyone in here, because there's a whole lot of people in the world that don't want to pull their own weight. But guess what the government wants from each of us when we go to work and we make a paycheck? Uncle Sam wants his cut, right? He wants his part. Now we're coming in to the end of the year, coming in January, and uh the next few months, guess what we're all gonna have to do? We've got to file taxes. I hate that part of the year. Normally I get an extension and I don't fool with it till October. I don't know if that's wise or not, but that's normally what I do. But anyway, we have to pay the government what we owe. Is that wrong not to pay the government what we owe? You better believe it's wrong. We may not agree with the amount. We may not agree with the structure. But if that law does not contradict any of God's laws, we are obligated to pay the government what we owe them. And that's what Paul is saying here. Pay what we owe. Then he talks about what we owe our fellow man. You know what the main thing is? He says, Owe no man anything but love. Now listen, he's not condemning borrowing money. Okay? He's not condemning borrowing money to buy a house. Condemning uh borrowing money to buy a car. Someone says, well, how do you know that? Well, what do we do when we buy electricity and we buy water? Well, I'm not too concerned about buying water. I'm on hicks and water. The water is not the problem. It's the sewer that bothers me. It's about three times what the water bill is. But do you know that as we use those services, we are borrowing that money from that institution and we pay it at the end of that cycle? It's exactly the same thing as if we borrow money to buy a house or we borrow money to uh, 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 buy a car. If we buy insurance and we use that insurance, I pay health insurance once a month. I pay it once a month. I pay my home insurance once a month. I pay my car insurance once a month. I'm borrowing that service until it comes time to pay. And so, in between paying and the next time we pay, I have a car wreck, my insurance handles it. Why? Because I've borrowed that that, uh, service. And then it comes time and I pay that premium. If I have to go to the hospital, I borrow that service. What little bit my insurance pays for that. But anyway, we understand he's not talking about condemning. What he's talking about, he's emphasizing what is most important. If you borrow money from someone, pay that person... What you owe him, But the main thing is we owe our fellow man love. We're to love because it fulfills the gospel of Christ. If we're going to get priorities right in our lives, and we want to be able to, to start over with a second chance, then we need to prioritize. And our first priority is love. Christ gave a new commandment. John 13, beginning with 34. He said that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. And when we begin to understand what that love means, we better understand God's love for us. He looks at love a little differently than we do, doesn't He? We love everything. Let me tell you, if it, if we enjoy it in this life, and someone says, "Do you? what do you think about such and such? Well, I love it. I love it. Where do you like to go on vacation? Boy, I love to go to the mountains. What kind of ice cream do you like? Boy, I love vanilla ice cream or chocolate ice cream. What's your favorite food? Boy, I love pizza and tacos and all those things that aren't good for you. I love those things. See, we don't understand really the concept of love. We love everything. I think what we mean is we like things a whole lot, right? God understands the concept of love. The inspired writers understood the concept of love, and they had different words for different types of love, right? They had brotherly love. We have a brotherly love for each other. Now, brotherly love is a whole lot different than what uh, uh our family love is for our children. The natural affection that Paul talked about in Romans chapter 1 that a lot of those people didn't have. Then you have married love. The love between a husband and a wife is very different from that love you have for children or for your brethren. But then you know there's a fourth kind of love that God is talking about. And this is the love talked about in this chapter. Agape love. And We've heard about agape love. Agape love is doing b- what is best for that person. Whether I like it or whether they like it, it doesn't matter, right? Love your enemies. That's agape love. Who wants to love someone who's trying to kill them? What if a uh, uh, an extremist of the Islamic religion comes in and tries to kill a bunch of How do we love someone like that? Well, see, we're misunderstanding. That's not brotherly love. That doesn't mean we want to go out to lunch with that individual or we want to spend time with that individual. What we're talking about is we're doing what's best for that individual. Now, you know what's best for a whole lot of people in this world? Is that they go to prison. That's best. It protects them and it protects society. Do they like that? Do they enjoy that? No. Do we enjoy having to go to the expense of putting people in prison in our nation and nations around the world? Well, no, that should be. That's really an unnecessary expense, or it ought to be, right? But that's what's best for that person. We rear children in this life. Have you ever had to spank your child's bottom? Mom and dad don't enjoy that, okay? Mom and dad don't enjoy that. The child certainly doesn't enjoy it, but it's what's best, right? That's agape love. That's agape love. God doesn't want to punish, but that's the just and the righteous thing to do, is to punish those who sin against Him. So He's talking about the most important thing, and we are to keep on loving. That's why we are to love. But how do we go about love? Well, we begin by emulating the Savior, don't we? He, he demonstrated the highest aspect of love we can see. Now think about this for a moment. We're talking about love your enemies, right? That's one example that we used. And it was for so long, I just could not wrap my mind around loving someone who wanted you to uh, to be harmed in some way, okay? Christ loved His enemies. He died on the cross for the people who murdered Him. I, You know, the world is fortunate that that duty didn't fall to me. Because I just, I know I couldn't have fulfilled it. When I think someone has harmed my family in some way, that really causes me some problems. And and sometimes I don't react to that properly. I've been working on that. I've been working on that. And we always need to continually to work on that. And that's something I need to prioritize in my life. But we need to understand that Christ loved His enemies. That meant He did what's best for them. What was best for the world? that He submitted to death on the cross, that He gave His life so that we might live. That's an amazing thing to understand, isn't it? When we consider what Jesus did for us, it ought to make us all ashamed. As He hung on the cross, Luke 23, 35-37, the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided Him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. Now notice what happened. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. Put yourself in his position. Let's put yourself in his position. Okay, let's say for a moment that we had it within us as individuals to endure a scourging for someone who deserved death. Okay, let's just say we had it in ourselves for just a moment to say, okay, I'll endure that. Well, you get to the cross, you've gone through everything you've gone through. They've nailed you to that wood. They have gone around and they've been mocking you. And finally, they say, well, if you are really the Christ, save yourself. He saved other people, but He can't save Himself. How many of us would have stayed on that cross? How many of us would have said, okay, you asked for it, I'll let you have it? I think probably most of us, most of us. There comes a point in our lives when we as as people who do not understand love like God understands, but we ought to be working on it all the time. That there comes a point where we have gone far enough, right? And that's what we have to work on. That's a priority ought to be in our lives. That we continue to go. We continue to go. And we continue to submit to God. And we take... Uh, the hurts in this life and we do not allow it to knock us off track. So that's how we love. We love the way He did. What about this? What about if His love only raised itself to the level of our love? Oh, now we're, we're thinking something else, right? What if God what if Christ loved the world only as much as we're able to love? And we're talking about Christians, okay? If as he was to, to love us, his standard of love was high, wasn't it? Is my standard of love high? Is that a priority that, that I've been working on? Greater love hath no man, John fifteen, thirteen, than that than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. There's no doubt in my mind that the people in our audience tonight and other people, there are, there are those in this world who you would give your life for. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. I'd give my life in a second for my wife and my children. I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't even consider it. I'd have given my life when my father was living to help protect him. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. There might be even some other people in the right situation where you might give your life to save them. But what about for that sorry scoundrel that, that cheated you out of a whole bunch of money? What about that guy that talked ugly to you at the office and he, he wasn't behaving right? Would you lay down your life for that person? See, that's a question that's a hard one to answer, right? If we're going to be honest with ourselves, you know, I don't think my answer would be the proper one right now, but that's something I need to work on, right? What about this? Let's consider this. Let's take our children, for instance, or those we love very dearly. What if someone came and said, okay, you give your child a sacrifice and I'll make a plan where the whole world can be saved. Before that question even finished coming out of their mouths, my answer would be no. I've got four daughters. I wouldn't give one of them for anybody to be saved. For me, for my wife, for anybody, and she wouldn't either. And I think we all feel that way especially for a bunch of people who mistreated them. Now, let's add that to the equation. Your child's been mistreated by the world. Everybody bullied your child, talked ugly to your child, abused your child, both physically and mentally. And then it comes up and says, okay, we're going to allow those people to be saved. If you'll give your child in exchange, we'll let the whole world be saved. Before they could finish, I'd be saying, nope, sorry, not going to happen. Not going to happen. See, Christ's love had a higher standard. So, how do we pay our debt of love that He gave us? Because we owe one by loving like He loved. We have to continually strive to get better at what we're doing. Incorporate agape love into our lives, doing what's best for that person, whether I like them or not, or whether they like me or not. And we have to do that through an active goodwill. I want us to notice... How what I believe is the exact definition of what love does for us. Let's turn to First Corinthians thirteen, well-known chapter. Let's begin with verse four. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Now that doesn't mean we're to be gullible in this life. But what it means is we do not just simply take the word of someone uh, that we probably don't even know, or if we do know them, and, and about someone that we know and we're supposed to be loving without first speaking with them, they may be true. It may be a fact that the person we know has done something they shouldn't have done, but we need to talk to that individual, not just on face value. That's where that's what he's talking about. Believeth all things. I'm going to believe in the character of members who uh, uh, people who are members of the Lord's church. That doesn't mean everybody who's a member of the Lord's church behaves properly. But what that does mean is on the face value of it, I'm going to believe in them until I find out otherwise. And it's my duty to do that, right? It's all of our duties to understand if someone is being faithful or not. Love does not give up on anyone. And it does what's best for everyone. That kind of love is the highest form of love. And we need to do that. And that's the first thing Paul talked about. Keep on loving. Then he talked about, and this is our second point, do not linger. Do not linger. In the text, he said, don't linger. What's he meaning? Well, he went on to say, wake up. Wake up! Paul understood the nature of time, right? How much time do we have? I don't know. All we've got is right now. We measure time. We look at the clock. We know we have to be somewhere. We know when something begins, when it ends. We understand that we don't have uh, enough time most of the time during the day to accomplish all that we want to. And Paul understood the nature of time. And what is that? Brother Ron's been talking about it to us for some time now. This year is gone. So what's the nature of time? Boy, it doesn't hang around long, does it? I can remember growing up and it used to, to irritate me. My dad would say when I was younger, man, Christmas is coming, it's like ten times a year. He said, when I was growing up, it came once every ten years. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's about right. I'm always looking forward to Christmas when you're nine or ten years old or something. And he says, now that you get older, it comes ten times a year. And that's about the truth too, isn't it? You get older and here it is again. Same thing. You turn around, now it's your birthday again. Time is fleeting. Time doesn't last. It is fast, right? Paul understood the nature of time. And He wants us to wake up, right? Now those people weren't literally asleep. But they had, they might as well have been because they were not doing anything substantial. And that's the thing. God cares about time. How do we know that? He created time, didn't He? For a reason. And He cares about time. Someone asked the question, what happens when you give a procrastinator a good idea? Nothing. Nothing happens. I was talking a little bit about my, my history when I was, when I was in college, right? Uh, that might sum me up a little bit in certain aspects. You know, oh, I'll get it. I got plenty of time. I'll get it. And you come up toward the end of a semester and you got to do, uh, uh, you know, five months worth of work in about three days. You know, well, I usually did it, but wouldn't it have been so much easier to have done it when it was supposed to have been done? What happens when you give a procrastinator a good idea? Absolutely nothing happens. And I think that's our biggest problem when we talk about spiritual things. We need to wake up. Don't linger. Take advantage of the opportunities in front of us, right? If we put off making our lives right to God, we're playing a deadly game. You know, we often hear about uh, the game that was uh, uh, Vietnamese soldiers used on our American soldiers a lot when, when they were torturing them, Russian roulette. You take a revolver, you put one bullet in the chamber, and you spin it around, and they would make them stick it to their heads and pull the trigger, and they would bet on whether the person would live through that or not. Well, you just don't know. Well, that's a dangerous game, isn't it? You have six cylinders, you've got one-sixth of a chance of killing yourself. Now, you've got five-sixths of a chance that you live. Those odds aren't good enough for me. See, I don't want to play that game. But that's what we're doing when we do not take advantage of our time. That's what happened to Paul. When Paul finally came to the understanding, Acts chapter 9, right? Acts chapter 22, Acts chapter 26, it's recorded three different times. He took advantage of that opportunity. When he came to the proper understanding of where he was messing up, how he needed to prioritize his life, that's what he did. He took advantage of the time. What do we do after we wake up? Paul said, get to work. Now, we need to understand what kind of work he's talking about. Someone says, well, we're trying, we're reaching out, we're doing this and we're doing that. That's not what he's talking about. That's one aspect of Christian work. But that's not what he's talking about in Romans chapter 13. We are to get to work casting off of ourselves the works of darkness. How can we work for God if we are entangled in sin? He said, cast off the works of darkness, right? He mentions a list of things that will cost us our salvation. Stop doing those things. You work first on yourself. How many of you ever flown in an airplane? And right before you take off, they give you instructions about where, you know, if you crash in the water, where's the life preserver? If this happens, if you lose the pressure in the cabin, he said you're going to have a, a mask going to pop down in front of your face, you put the mask on yourself First, then you help your neighbor. That means if you've got children, you put your mask on, because what happens when you pass out of uh, because of a lack of oxygen? Now who's going to help your children? Right? Same thing spiritually. If I do not watch myself, and I do not work to cast off the works of darkness, how can I help my family? You know, I appreciate what Mr. Crock said in the first part of his statement. God, family... Then my job. appreciate that. I can't help my family unless I first take care of myself. But the problem is he reversed the order, right? So we have to get to work. Matthew 6, 24, the Lord said, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in mammon. We have to make a choice. Paul said, if you want to, Get your priorities in order. Things haven't been going well. And he understood this from personal experience. Sometimes another chance is all we need. He said, first, got to keep on loving. you got to love the way God loves. He says, don't linger. Wake up. Come to yourself. Understand the situation. And get to work straightening yourself out. And then you can help other people. And then his last point, and our last point, dress to live. Dress to live. After we cast off the works of darkness, we have to put on Christ, and we have to dress in righteousness, right? We are to put on Christ. How do we put on Christ? How do we put on Christ? How do we get into Christ? Paul said that all spiritual blessings are in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1 verse 3. So the, the question ought to be, how do I get into Christ? How do I put on Christ? How do I make that a part of my life? Well, fortunately, Paul told us in two separate places, the only two places in the whole of the New Testament where we are specifically told how to get into Christ. Now, it's alluded to in every place where someone obeyed the gospel. But in Galatians 3, 26 and 27, talking to Christians, talking to those who had already... Put on Christ. He said, For we are the the children of God by faith. For as many of us as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. We want to put on Christ, right? We want to dress in righteousness. For as many of us, He told the Romans in Romans chapter 6, as we're baptized into His death. Right? That's where we contact the blood, figuratively speaking, when we're baptized in water. And so... We need to be able to dress in righteousness. Above all, I think, uh, we want to be in Christ because Paul said this. Notice Ephesians 2 verse 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. That's Ephesians 1 verse 3. We already talked about that. Now notice Ephesians 2 verse 12. He also told them that at that time ye were without Christ... You hadn't been baptized into Christ. You hadn't put on Christ. You were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Prior to Christ, you were Gentiles. You weren't a part of Israel. And strangers from the covenants and promise. You didn't have a covenant relationship with God. Having no hope and without God in this world. Christ took that away. You know, and thank God He did because none of us here are Jews. None of us are Jews. We're Gentiles. We had no hope in this world. But when Christ came, He changed that. So I want to dress in righteousness. I want to put on Christ and thank Him for that. And after we prepare ourselves by putting on uh, dressing in righteousness, we have to dress in resistance. We have to maintain. We have to fight against Satan. You know, dressing on the outside is one thing. Getting dressed on the inside is a whole other thing, isn't it? Oh, two different animals. You know, we get up, everybody dresses uh, for the most part. Everybody dresses on the outside. You go out in the public. A lot of people had not really gotten that down yet. But we put on clothes to cover our bodies. Getting dressed on the inside is something entirely different. We need to dress in such a way that people identify us as Christians. That's dressing on the inside. Now, that will exhibit itself in our outer dress, but that's why Peter said this in John both, Acts 4 verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Peter and John, what, were their, what was their livelihood? Fishermen, right? Fishermen. Almost anybody can fish. That doesn't mean they were stupid men. That means that if you get out there and you work with the proper material... And you're willing to work out in that heat and that sun on that water, you can fish and you can catch fish normally. You know, you don't have to have the, the intelligence or the learning that say a, a physician has, right? But what had they decided about those men? They were ignorant men, I meaning they didn't have an education, but what, how had they dressed in such a way that made them Being seen and perceived as someone who had been with Christ. They dressed on the inside in such a way that they emulated the teachings of Christ. They, those brethren reminded those Jews of who Christ was. Isn't that what we ought to do? That's how we, that's how we dress on the inside. People see us and they say something's different. That person isn't behaving like most people in the world do. They're not using bad language. They're not drinking alcohol. They're not uh, uh, being places they shouldn't be. They're not cheating and lying and stealing. They're not being unfaithful to their spouses. And the litany of things continue, right? It reminds people of who Jesus is, and we ought to remind ourselves who we are, right? A few weeks ago, I preached a sermon. I used the illustration of my father telling me when I was a young man in And we would go out and run around town on the weekends. He would say, remember who you are and remember who I am. You know what he meant? Yeah, because everyone who's ever had a parent or anyone who's ever had a child that was old enough to go do those things, to go out and be with other young people and nothing wrong with that. But we wanted them to remember who they were, how they're supposed to act and who their mom and daddy are and behave according to that. Don't bring shame on yourself and don't bring dishonor on your parents. Right? That's how that's the relationship we have with God. Remember who we are. Let's not be let's not shame ourselves in living like the world. And let's certainly not bring shame on the Father. And so when we look at Ephesians six, beginning verse thirteen on through uh the end of the chapter, we're talking about dressing in the armor of God, right? That's dressing on the inside. And that's what he expects. I think if time continues The God of heaven has blessed us with another year. I appreciate that. I think that this year, as with every year, ought to be better than the last one. We ought to be able to make changes and evaluate ourselves. We ought to learn how to have success. We ought to learn how to prioritize. And sometimes another chance is all we need to be able to do that. And if time continues, God has blessed us with that. So let's be productive. Let's do what Paul said. Let's keep loving. Let's not linger, and let's dress to live, right? That's what He expects. And uh, remember, He told those in Rome, wake up, get busy, do the things that you need to do. If You've never obeyed the Gospel. Do that tonight. Don't leave here not in a covenant relationship. How do we dress in Christ? How do we put on that righteousness? Well, we talked about Galatians three twenty six and 27. We're baptized into Jesus. Romans 6, 3 and 4, we're baptized into His death. We come up out of that water walking in a new life. Why? Because we believe that He was who He said He was. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 6. We repent of our past sins. Right? Uh, Acts three nineteen. 19. We uh, confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And we do that not only with our mouths, but with our actions. Just like the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. And then we're immersed in water. We put on Christ in water. We're added to the church. We get into Him. It washes our sins away. Paul knew that, didn't he? Acts 22, an Ananias came to him and he said, Saul, Saul, why tarryst thou, rise and be baptized, washing away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And a lot of people get hung up on this idea of calling on the name of the Lord. What does that mean? Does that mean we call out to God? Well, he had been calling out to God for three days, praying to Him for salvation, and he still was in sin calling on the name of God means to be obedient to what He's told us to do. And that's what He did. He arose, He was baptized, He had His sins washed away, He was added to the Lord's church in that same process, and then He began the life of the greatest missionary to ever step foot in this world other than Christ Himself. That's how we get into Christ. That's how we sometimes another chance is all we need, and that's our other chance. If you've done that and you've become unfaithful, Come back to God through repentance and prayer and confession. And we'll pray with you and for you if publicly necessary. But either way, if you have need to answer this Lord's invitation, do that. As we stand and as we sing.